Everyone, welcome to Data Access Golf on a Data Monday, where we get to talk about the victory, the recent victory on the PGA Tour, third tournament of the year, in this new wraparound schedule, and that was, that was awesome. I don't know, <laughs> that was awesome to have, I don't know, it had everything. You had a, an underdog, kind of a, an emotional story going on, sort of a, a family, oh, I don't know, I thought it was great. So it, um, it just, it seemed like last year we kind of started out a little bit slow, there wasn't a lot of stories, there wasn't a lot to really get you excited. And Cameron, you know, Cameron Champ, who won obviously yesterday, he, wow, it was, it was super fascinating because his last victory, it kind of seemed like it was like a, everybody figured that he was going to continue to win forever because he hit it so far and he'd come so quickly. He's what, 23 years old last year and it was just going to be total dominations. I mean, they're talking about how many, how many majors this kid was going to win. And then you kind of see where he kind of, we'll get into some of the numbers here. He really struggled the rest of the year. He had a really good sort of pre-Christmas year, and then afterwards really struggled and sort of limped in, had a really good, had one good tournament the remainder of the year in the playoffs, but it wasn't enough to get him to the Tour Championship. I think he finished 62nd, I think, in the FedEx Cup. So a really interesting story. We're going to dive into it to look at the numbers, kind of look at how his year shook out. It's, it's fascinating how his year shook out when you take a look at the numbers. So let's dive in and start the discussion. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me again on this Data Monday. Really appreciate it. Um, man, it's, it's tournaments like that that make golf so much fun to watch, right? I just, I loved it. And he's converted twice now when he's had a 54-hole lead. Cameron Champ has, but yesterday was a, a little tough, right? I mean, he had to make, he had to birdie 18 to get it done. Um, he had to be driving the ball well, and he laced one down the middle. He had all the pressure, you know, his grandpa's there in hospice at his, at his parents' home. And uh, man, just a lot of emotion. I just was, uh, it was very easy to cheer for Cameron Champ yesterday. He has got so many amazing uh, tools in his tool belt for golf, um, but he's 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 lacked a lot, um, and we figured that out kind of last year. He does very well when it's wide open, and he doesn't have to put a lot of pressure on his short game. But this last week, he did very well with his short game. So. Again, as we do, this is really the only day of the week where I go live and do anything on video. Uh, we'll probably change that a little bit this year. There's been some adjustments based on some discussions and some data that we've seen based on the podcast and, and uh, some other data that we've looked at online. So we'll probably do a few more lives and things, but they will be contained within the private Facebook group, which is Data Access Golf. Private Club. If you look that up on Facebook, you can find it there. There's just three quick questions. It's really a place for golfers who are 30 or older, who don't have, who have lives, busy lives, that are not professional golfers. So we're not allowing professional golfers in. But people who are amateur golfers, 
who have busy lives, who work and, and just don't have time to, to practice every day all day. And so everything that we do at Data Access Golf is going to be about helping people like us get better at golf without all the coaches and technology and all the stuff that the, T, the PGA Tour pros have access to you know, for free, which is, I get it, it's all a business, but we wanna make it as easy as possible for all of us. And it doesn't matter if you've got huge, long winters and you're buried in snow. A buddy of mine sent a picture of, they're up in Canada, and they had like three feet of snow last night that they had to shovel, which I can't even, I'm in Utah and just dreading the snow coming, but um, bless their hearts. He and his boys were out there shoveling snow and digging out the neighbors too, so this early in the year, but. So even for individuals that are snowed in right now, we wanna make sure that we are focusing on the very best strategies to get better at golf. And uh, I don't have to do it based on what uh, the PGA tells me. I'm not a PGA a touring pro. I've just been learning golf my whole life uh, with my grandfather through my own experiences. Um, and for the last 12 years, I've been working with Fred Shoemaker of Extraordinary Golf, as many of you know who I think is the brightest mind in golf and the best coach and instructor in golf. And we talked about some amazing things last week in our call that uh, I, I will share with you going forward. Some really cool research that, um, that, that Fred sort of opened my mind to that we're really gonna mess with this winter and dig into, but it's super exciting stuff. And we love to geek out about golf and talk about golf. And, and it's all about making sure that amateurs like us can get better as quickly as they possibly can, tap into what really works and ignore what really doesn't, and get away from trying to consciously manufacture golf swings that just don't work long-term. Uh, you cannot consciously play really good golf. It, it has to become a subconscious practice, uh, just like everything else that's very difficult to do in our lives. If, if we're not doing it subconsciously, we're not very good at it. Whether it's walking and talking or playing a musical instrument or whatever, we have to get to a point where we're subconsciously able to take in information and then just let our bodies run and do what they are programmed to do, so magnificently programmed to do, okay? So that's the deal. Um, you'll see some changes. You can kind of see already we've got, I've always loved slate blue. It's like, I just love that color and I've always loved gray. But so you can see that the old data access logo has been blue and gray, and I love it. I still love it to this day. But I have been told by um, those that are smarter than me in the marketing, online marketing game, and during the audit, that, that it really needs to be more traditionally green. And so we switched to kind of a green color. They allowed me to keep some gray black in there, but it's, it's definitely green, right? So that's the new logo for data access golf. I am going to stick to my blue and gray for me just because I love it so much, but I, I get it. Most people don't look at blue and gray and think golf. So there you have it. Okay. So I wanted to dive in then. We're going to do, as we do on Data Mondays, we look at, um, I don't know if you heard the, the door slam, but I've got my son who came back off his church mission. He is now working here with me in the office. So he's going to be helping me do a lot of uh, graphical stuff. He's very artistic and it's kind of fun not to be alone anymore, right? To have your boy around helping you out, so. But I wanted to jump in then. We obviously go to the iPad and we'll look at, I've got a presentation set up and we'll go through and look at the data and talk about Cameron Champ and how he got it done. Um, we're gonna do it a little differently today because he said one of the coolest things 
after it was all said and done. And so I wanted to start with that. So I'll bring up the iPad right now. And you know, I didn't really figure out how to do, um, how to do, let me see if I do this. Boom. Oh, look at that. That worked, didn't it? Yeah, that sort of worked. Okay, so let's see if that doesn't get it done there. All right. Well, that gives me a little. Okay, well, all right. We've got a little, oh my gosh, that's hysterical. Let me turn that off. Let me show you this. Okay, so I've run it. I've got a little, now nah, we're good right here. Okay, so I've got this going right now on my iPad. So I'm going to bring it up. You're just going to, I'm going to be looking down at it. I apologize, but that's how we do. Hopefully you can see it pretty well on the screen right here. I loved this. I loved this quote uh, with everything that was going on because it gives us a glimpse into who uh, Cameron Champ is. This kid and his dad said it in the post-tournament interview. This kid just has a heart of gold. Just a big heart, just a nice kid. And he's obviously a, a big kid, a good-looking kid, uh, talented like nobody's business. He's been working for the last 10 years with Sean Foley. Uh, he, he grew up playing on a par-3 course. His grandpa was the one who introduced him to the game. I mean, this was a big deal yesterday. And I just loved this quote. Uh, no matter if I win one more tournament, 10 more tournaments, whatever it may be, this will be the greatest moment of my golf career. Uh, I love that. And I think that uh, oddly enough, um, I hope he believes this. I hope he really, really believes this because if he does, he doesn't know it, but he has just taken such great pressure off his game by saying something like this. Uh, which is so important in this game, right? To make sure you keep it simple and to make sure you stay out of your head. So I really loved that. I thought that was fantastic. Okay, so let's move right on. We'll get going. So we always like to do a little introduction to get to know our champions a little bit better. And because we, we started our podcast in October. So the Data Access podcast actually started in October after the Sanderson's Farm Championship. So um, I, we've never done an intro on Cameron Champ. So this is our first time, obviously the 2020 champion of the Safeway Open. I think that's a cool logo. I gotta say, it's super simple, but the Safeway on top of the golf tee, come on, right? It's super simple, it's, ob it's obvious, but I like it because it's, it's so simple that way. Okay, so first and foremost, we see here that Cameron Pate played for the Texas A&M Aggies. He has listed that his home is in Sacramento, and he grew up in Sacramento, but his current home is in Houston, Texas. Okay, so that's where he lives now. One thing I thought that was interesting, if you watched the broadcast yesterday, that Johnny Miller mentioned something, and I haven't been able to go in and look at it, but Johnny Miller mentioned that um, kids that are raised in California tend to win at a higher rate when the PGA Tour comes to California. And because they are raised on these Poana, uh, Poana Greens. And a lot of us have heard about Poana Greens and how awful they are. And I've grown up here in Utah. We have sort of a, it's always kind of a mix of Poana and Bent. And so as the day progresses, the Poana sorts, starts to bubble up and kind of um, bloom a little bit. And so you get these little patches, but we're talking 100% Poana Greens. And something that Jet Nicholas said is they've always talked about, you hear about a, a lot about Poana Greens getting sort of bumpy toward later on in the day because they do start to flower up a little bit. Um, but 
what he said is that Poana greens are really hard to read. And I thought that was fascinating, that Poana, Poana greens are hard to read. And that's why the California, those that are raised in California always do so well, is that it's just, you need to have experience on Poana greens in order to play them well. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Whether it's true or not, I haven't seen the data as to what, um, if the data holds that up, but Johnny Miller thinks it's true. And it was kind of fun to have him back in the booth a little bit. I don't know if you saw it, but he was sitting in between David Duvall and, I don't know, the other guy who I, I probably should know, but I don't. Um, great voice though, right? And he was sitting in between them and his chair just kind of started going down. So you see Johnny Miller is about the same height and then he starts dropping down and he quipped that uh, his career has been going downhill for a long time. It's quite funny. Johnny Sharp in his 70s, he's doing quite well still for himself. Okay, so Cameron Champ, he played for the Texas A&M Aggies. Um, he qualified for the 2017 U.S. Open through sectional qualifying, which we all know is completely brutal. He actually had to win in a playoff. And then he led as a, he <laughs> led as an amateur driving distance, which we know he blows it out there a long way. With a very, I love his swing because it's one plane that looks like two plane. His hands stay on the same plane, but he really drops the club and comes in from sort of an inside attack angle, but his hands stay somewhat on the same plane. It's a very interesting move and, and we'll definitely take a look at it in one of the, one of the things that we're going to do differently is we're going to have videos on and do, apparently people like when we do some, when we look and break down some golf swings using the iPad. And so we're going to do some more of that, but we're just going to stick that in the private uh, Facebook group area. Okay, so Data Access Golf Private Club, go ahead and join there and we'll have all those available to you. I might be a little loud here, huh? Let me see if I turn the audio down a little bit. Okay, it was going up into the yellow, so I apologize if that was being a little too loud. So, all right, so led, led the U.S. Open in 2017 as an amateur with 337 yards off the tee. What? That's... What? I mean, I live at elevation. And, I mean, downhill with the wind. On cement, I don't know if I could hit it at 337. So that's pretty cool. I think that yesterday, I think on 18, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they said on 18 when he piked it, that it ended up 336, 300, no, 369 yards. What? And so he had like an eight iron into the green on a par five and he left it short, which are hard to believe, but he got up and down for that birdie. But 369 yards and then an eight iron in on a par five? That changes the game a little bit, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, pretty cool. Okay, so he played on the Corn Ferry Tour in 2018. Uh, he qualified actually in the qualifying tournament for the Corn Ferry or the web.com tour back then by finishing 16th in that tournament. And then the next year, he won the Utah Championship, just right up the road north, boom, that way, uh, in order to help him finish and get his PGA Tour card. And um, I saw here that yeah, he finished sixth in the Corn Ferry Tour in 2018 to get his 2019 Tour card. So that's how he got onto the Tour, a very traditional path, played college golf, went to the Corn Ferry Tour, won on the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, finished in the high enough in the standings to get on the PGA Tour, and then here's where it gets a little bit different. He won in his first year, right? In his one of his first tournaments. The, I, I don't know the number, but Sanderson Farms is what the second one, and I don't know if he played in the first one or not. But he won pretty quickly on tour, 
and then had a really good sort of pre-Christmas um, period and then just struggled the rest of the year. And I heard a lot of speculations from the talking heads that maybe he couldn't handle the fame, maybe he couldn't handle um, all the notoriety, uh, all the interview requests, all of that. He didn't handle it very well. Um, I don't know. I don't really see this kid as one that seems to be somewhat nervous or anything. I just think that he's so talented that he was able, he hits it so far that he was able to overcome some of the glaring weaknesses in his game and get a win. I think that's really good. He is so um, demonstrably longer than everybody else that he has a huge advantage. And if he's playing a course that's wide open, then, and you've got eight irons into par fives when everybody else is hitting hybrids, you just have a huge advantage. And I think that that may have been it. And then as the, you know, as the tournaments, as the, the tour schedule progressed, it gets a little bit more difficult. You have a few more of the really good players joining in. Like, I mean, you see the, you know, you see the players that are playing right now. We don't see a lot of the big name players playing right now. Uh, Justin Thomas obviously was in there this week, but I think as far as big names go, he's probably the biggest. And um, so we have a lot of these players that are making hay uh, this time of the year, which I think is brilliant. Good for them. And uh, it's fun to, to watch. It's fun to watch. And, and Cameron Champ now, he's won twice now, right? It kind of gets the monkey off the back. If this was the biggest accomplishment he could ever have in golf, then he has systematically and probably without knowing it, removed all the pressure in his life period when it comes to golf. So hopefully he can play well. I look forward to it. I, I was really impressed with how he handled a lot of the part of, the game, of his game that's weakest. And he has some weak parts of his game. We've got the data to prove it. He held up so well this week and was so good in scrambling. He led the field in scrambling this week. That doesn't happen with Cameron Champ very often. So that's how he got it done. Okay. So we talked about he won the Utah Championship, Corn Ferry Tour. And then he finished um, 12th. On the Corn Ferry, let's see, he finished 12th on the 28th, yeah, he finished 12th on the 2018 Corn Ferry Tour to get, to get back on the PGA Tour. That's not right. I don't think that that's right. Because it says here he finished 6th. That must be from the previous. I apologize. Uh, anyway, uh, he's been working with Sean Foley since he was 14, so I've said that. It's been 10 years with Sean Foley, and a very, how do I say this? I would have never guessed that Sean Foley was Cameron Champ's coach because he has a very different move than most of Sean Foley's players. So hats off to Sean Foley for allowing Cameron Champ to express himself and swing the club naturally. His is a natural motion. And so good for Sean for not trying to change it um, and make it a little bit more robotic. You know, when, when you move it like he does, it has to be... It has to be natural. It has to come from inside. Um, his body has to work together to do it that way. And you take any of that away, I think that uh, Cameron probably loses distance if you go more to a more ro robotic um, swing, right? So really, really cool. And, and frankly, we always look at swings and think, hey, is that how they would throw a club, propel a club? I can see Cameron Champ just throwing the club just exactly the way he swings his driver. And, and that's always a really good sign that he's swinging naturally within himself and just letting it happen. So super cool stuff there. And then finally, this was a little surprising to me. So best finish, finishes in majors. He's only played in two majors. We mentioned one as an amateur. And then he played in last year's PGA Championship. And he tied for 54th. 
Which is interesting, right? After winning the Sanderson Opens, I guess it, the Sanderson Farms Open, I guess, I mean, the Sanderson Farms Championship, I guess it didn't come with an invite to the Masters or any of that, which I, I actually didn't know. So I was surprised by that. Okay, we'll keep moving here. So what does the win do for Cameron Champ? Well, in the world rankings, it moved him up 100 spots from 170 all the way up to 70. So he's a top 100 player now. It's the highest ranking he's ever had in the world. So that's got to feel very, very good for him. And then as far as FedEx Cup rankings go, he was at 49th and jumped all the way up to number two. So good work there. Um, Sebastian Munoz finished, you know, was playing with Cameron Champ in that last group and held on. So he now takes over the number one spot on the FedEx Cup. And we mentioned it last week on Data Monday. When you see one of these players who his consistent, Sebastian Munoz, his, um, his consistency level was pretty poor. And so now that he's kind of hung in there and he's got a win under his belt, um, he's playing pretty good golf right now. I'm sure he's got a lot of confidence and we're seeing that for sure. Okay, some of the changes here. These are so hard to read and I apologize, but um, anyway, you've got Cameron Jamp, the jump from 49th to second. That was the biggest move. And then Sebastian, Mun Sebastian Munoz kept on to number one, which I thought was great with his second place finish. You've got Joaquin Newman dropping down to two. Uh, uh, Sungay M moved down to, from, to four, from three to four. Everybody got just bumped down. Adam Hadwin, who had a really nice tournament and pushed Cameron a little bit, jumped all the way up into sixth place. And then you've got Harris English dropping two. You've got uh, Hung Yang, a movie, dropping two. You've got Mark Leishman popping up into nine. He had a really nice run there and just couldn't keep it going. Ran out of holes, essentially, but played really, really well. And then Brian Harmon dropping all the way down from seventh to tenth. Okay, as far as the world rankings go, not a lot of changes. Not a lot of these folks were playing. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau obviously played, had a really good second round and finished decently. He had a really tough third round, but basically moved up a slot from 11 to 10th. Uh, Xander Shoffley then obviously moved up from 10th to 9th, and everybody else pretty much stayed the same. The, uh, the Francisco Molinari, who actually started out pretty strong, um, didn't, didn't end up well and got bumped out of the top 10. So that's how those worked out. Okay, consistency scale. So this is something that, that we like to do here at Data Access Golf. It, it gives us an idea of where these players are when you measure them against all the other players on tour. And... Consistency scale, consistency scale essentially is just the rate at which they make the cut. That's it. I mean, there's nothing more to it than that. Pretty simple, but it gives a very good idea of how a player, how consistent a player is over time, right? Over the whole, over the whole entirety of their career. And, um, and, and it, I, I just think that it identifies really good players, really solid, consistent players who have super good fundamentals, right? Because they're, year in and year out consistent. So you've got Tiger Woods who makes 90% of his cuts. He's, always, he's led this thing for years, right? Uh, elite players, and again, we're gonna start changing these. These are essentially players that won last year in 2019. We'll be changing them out for players that won in 2020. But as far as this goes, you've got uh, Kepka, McElroy, Molinari, um, Cantlay. Those are some individuals that are in that elite category making 80 to 89% of their cuts. In the solid category, you've got players like, well, that I've got it in there in all caps and bold, Neiman, who won the first tournament of the year. And he makes the cut 70 to 70%. So he's a solid player. 
Um, you've got good players in there at, let's see, Kisner, McDowell, Pan. I'll definitely, I'll try to get those larger. I'm going to expand this to hopefully make it easier to read. But if you look at Cameron Champ, you've got 59% and below is what I call, are they going to keep their card? Because most of them don't. Most of them have to go back and requalify. And we've had quite a few winners last year. I mean, I just, you've got Kang, um, Homa, Connors, Munoz, who won last week. I mean, these are people that typically would lose their card. And you have to throw in there now Cameron Champ, who only has made 50% of his cuts over the course of his two-year career. And he's won two tournaments. Okay, so it just kind of goes to... If you, you put him on a tough course that's tight and has really punitive rough, um, he's going to struggle a little bit. Um, his, his scrambling game, his short game, isn't very good. It was amazing this last week. He led the tour. He led the entire field with scrambling, which is not the, typically the way he gets it done, but he definitely got it done that way. So he's got two wins. Um, obviously, this is kind of a cool. This is kind of a cool, cool thing how the PGA Tour has it set up. If you, when you win, you get a two-year exemption, okay. And then if you win again, you get the two-year exemption plus a year. So now it becomes because he's got two wins now, they add a year onto that, up to five years. So that's something that the PGA Tour does. So now he's got three-year exemption after his win today, after his win yesterday, right? So he's now got, you know, four years instead of just the two from last year's win. So pretty cool there. I, I do like that. I think that's cool the PGA Tour does that. Okay, our benchmark review. This is kind of the highlight. This is a big deal. This is where we get to look at how they performed this week and compare it to how they performed last year as far as their averages go, and then compare it to the benchmarks that we've created for ourselves to manage and watch over our own games. Okay, and those that you'll, you'll find there in yellow. So we're comparing all of these Everything that's green and red, we're comparing to the benchmarks that we set up for ourselves. These benchmarks are essentially make it uh, possible for us to analyze our game very quickly and figure out where we should be spending our practice time because we don't have a lot of it, because we've got lives, we're busy, we, we work, we've got families, we don't do golf full time. Okay, so this is a way to help us be super efficient in our practice time. So, so for the tournament... Um, Cameron Champ basically averaged the number of fairways he hits through all of 2019, right? 55% for 2019. He hit 54% of his fairways uh, for the Safeway Open. Okay? Uh, open. Yeah, for the Safeway Open. Um, our benchmarks are 55%. So Cameron Champ is just sort of hovering. I, I've got it in red because for the tournament, he was less than 55%, less than our benchmark. But he hits it so far, he gets away with some accuracy issues. And, and if you watched it yesterday, he got some pretty lucky, he hit some pretty lucky spots where it got in the trees and they just kind of got to a place where he could work the ball left or right and get it somewhere up around the green. There, it wasn't too, Silverado was not very punishing off the tee. Um, pretty easy to get it back in play. So... We would say, hey, Cameron, you probably need to work on your accuracy a little bit, at least for the tournament. And he's right at that benchmark, 55%. Maybe I should have marked that yellow to match it up. Those that performed and hit the fairway less than 55% in 2019 would include Jordan Spieth, Phil Mickelson, and Peter Uline. So there you go. So if we can hit the fairway 55% or higher, we've got essentially tour quality gain as far as driving accuracy goes.
Okay, so if we can hit these benchmarks or be a little above them, it's very, very um, accurate to say you have a tour quality game in each one of these areas. And that's kind of the point. Why, if we can practice um, more efficiently and, and, and a little smarter using technology and, and really good techniques and, and have a tour quality game, even though we don't have a whole lot of time to practice, I, I can't think where it could be any better than that, right? So, okay, greens and regulation. For the tournament, 74%, five points higher than his average in 2019 at 69%, and our benchmark is 65%. Okay, we wanna hit more than 65% of our greens and regulation. Those that hit less than 65% of their greens and regulation include Brent Snedeker, Justin Rose, and Francisco Molinari. Okay, we're talking good players here that struggle. Every single one of these players, if they're good consistently across all this, then they make a lot of cuts. That's the correlation that we see. Okay, sand saves. For the week, this one's glaring, folks. <laughs> For the week, Cameron Champ got up and down out of the sand 75% of the time. For 2019, 37% of the time. That is, not, that is not good for a tour pro. Um, our benchmark is 45%. I would consider that to be the bare minimum for a tour pro. Uh, there's definitely players that, that get up and down less than that, and some of them are pretty surprising because I thought, I thought Paul Casey has always been a good sand player. But you've got Paul Casey, Keegan Bradley, and Jonathan Vegas who all averaged less than 45% out of the sand, scrambling out of the sand in 2019. Okay, it's a total shock for me. Okay, strokes game putting. This is obviously something that we can only look at because they compare it to the field. But uh, he picked up two strokes on the field with his putting. And I actually really love his putting stroke. It was very rhythmic. It was very in control. The tempo was good. I really loved watching Cameron putt. I don't know how he struggles so much putting unless he's just done a lot of work because his putting stroke really looked beautiful. I, I, I thought it was gorgeous. It really looked great. For a big kid with all that power to have that kind of um, touch... And to have that kind of tempo in his putting stroke, I thought was amazing. Super impressive. Uh, strokes gain putting for 2019, he lost uh, to the field in strokes gain. So we got that red. We want that at least to be zero um, when it comes to tour pros. Scrambling for the tournament, 84%. He led the tournament in scrambling for the week. That's super impressive when you look at what he averaged in 2019 at 52%, which is three points lower than our benchmark. So definitely something where Cameron should be practicing on his driving accuracy, his sand game, strokes, his putting game, and also his scrambling game. Okay, so he, he's got some weaknesses here that are pretty glaring. Um, our benchmark, obviously, for scrambling, 55%. We want to get up and down more than 55% around the green. And if we aren't, we should be practicing on that aspect of our game. Those that made got up and down less than 55%. I know I've got Phil Mickelson here twice. I don't typically do that. But come on, Phil's like the, right? He's, he's the wedge wizard. To not be able to, I don't know if it was his putting or it, he was inaccurate with, it's probably a combination of both, honestly. That's usually what it is. But how does Phil not perform higher than our benchmark with a wedge in his hand? I mean, really, he's never been known to be a very good putter. But come on. Uh, I, I was just completely shocked by that. And he had a tough year. And you've got Jason Duffner and Hunter Mahan. Neither of them had a great year honestly it was just it was good to see hunter mahan's name again frankly i know he's a dad he's got kids now and, and priorities have changed but just fun to see him back playing um one of the sickest 
right? One of the sickest experiences in golf or watching golf was watching him flub that chip in the Ryder Cup with Graham McDowell, right? Disgust. That just hurt so bad. I hurt so bad for him. You know, forget about the team and everything else. And then the interviews after when he's crying, brutal. Just brutal. All right, putting. Okay. Those of, uh, those of you that uh, hang out with me here know that I am a big proponent on making sure you can make your five-footers. You have got to make five-footers. Five feet and in is really all we should be practicing with our limited schedules. We should be amazing five-foot and in putters. 90% or higher, right? I mean, go crazy here. Super, super good five feet and in, in your office, wherever you practice. Practice your five-footers. Make sure that you know where the face is and you know how to hit the ball to hit something very small, like a Nike swoosh on another ball, as Fred Shoemaker used to make me do. If you can make your five-footers, it's going to take off the pressure on your game, okay? So, like, for, for example, let's, let's use Cameron as an example, okay? You see here he makes 75% of his five-footers, okay? So he's only making three out of four. So he's got some doubt when he's got a five-footer. And we can see that he's not very good out of the sand, right? We can see that he, he struggles out of the sand. Um, he struggles scrambling. That means, and, and then we see that with five-footers is below the benchmark. He's not making his five-footers. If he made 90% of his five-footers, you know how quickly the sand saves and the scrambling numbers would come up? A ton. A ton. Okay, he would come up. 15%, right? If he got to 95%, um, it's a big part of our game is these five footers. And if we, can, if we can just be so proficient and so confident at five feet and in, it will take off so much pressure off lag putting, chipping, sand game. I mean, even approach shots, right? Even on par fives when you got 40 yards in to the hole. If you know you can, you've got a 10 foot circle around that hole and you're not focusing on some tiny little hole, but you've got 10 feet, as your margin of error and chances are 90% you make the putt from there, that takes off a huge amount of pressure off your game. And so I think Cameron Champ too, he should be practicing five footers and in, so they are just no brainers. But he putted beautifully this last week. I don't wanna take anything from it. It looks like he's been practicing pretty, his putting stroke looked flawless to me. So he's probably put in a lot of work. I don't know who he's working with. I don't know any of that, but his putting stroke was gorgeous. And then putts per round, he averaged 29.9. Putts per round obviously struggled a little bit, as we can see. Um, those that made less than 29.5% of their putts for 18 holes, Brandon Grace, Bubba Watson, and Corey Connors. Corey, of course, who won last year. Um, yeah. Okay, so kind of a deal. And actually finished, I believe he finished second at the Sanderson Farms too. Uh, our Mr. Cameron Champ, right? Oh, that would make two Canadians, right? That have finished second to Cameron Champ, Champ when he's won on the tour. Just a little bit of trivia, right? If anybody asks you what nationality are those that finished second after Cameron Champ's two wins, it's Canadian, folks, so if that, if that helps at all. Okay, good stuff there. So Cameron's got a lot of weaknesses in his game that he can overcome if he has a really good week. Um, yeah, good stuff. Okay, the money. Um, I was surprised looking at the money this year because uh, the Sanderson's the Sanderson's Open only paid the winner like when he won last year he only won like seven hundred ninety thousand dollars which doesn't sound like much but so far we've got everybody's over a million bucks so far in prize money 
So the, the days of less than a million bucks when you win seem to be gone, right? Even the Safeway Open, uh, last week, the Safeway Open and um, Sanderson Farms both paid 1.188 million. And then um, the Greenbrier paid a little bit more than that. But anyway, okay, so what, is it, what does it mean as far as the money goes? Obviously a big win for the dad, for his grandpa, his papa, which is probably bigger than anything. But he, he, Cameron drives home, the hour drive from home, or two hour drive, I can't remember, what, maybe it was a two hour drive, with 1.188 million bucks in the bank, or at least gonna show up this morning. Uh, he's got it by now. He did it in 271 strokes. So for that amount, exact same amount as Sebastian made last week, $297,000 per day, four day tournament. Uh, per hour, assuming five hour rounds, he made $59,400, same as Sebastian last week. Uh, that per stroke, because he had one more stroke than Sebastian did, he made a little less per stroke than Sebastian did last week. Sebastian won in 270 strokes. So he made four, he, uh, per stroke, he won $4,384 per stroke. So for his career, so for whatever reason, the PGA Tour site didn't update this. So I went back and looked at his 2018, his 2019 numbers and then added in the 2020 victory, the 1.188. I may have left, he may have had a few dollars in the previous and uh, the Sanderson Farms and the Greenbrier. I didn't really look at that, but this gives us an idea. He's made 17 cuts. He's had 34 starts, so that's at 50%, but he makes roughly 117,000, almost $118,000 per cut. Um, I've just got a, a little money per cut thing down there. We'll change this as the, probably at the first of the year. And these are obviously winners from last year, but those that are leading, Tiger Woods still unbelievably makes $365,000 per cut. He makes the cut, that's what, he, that's what he takes home on average without winning. I mean, he's usually top 10 or whatever, but that's pretty amazing. And then Justin Thomas, who we did see, he's kind of rounds out this list. Brooks Kepka, he kind of leapfrogged him last year, but Justin Thomas pulls in 277,000. So I don't know if he did that yesterday, but that's what he averages. Okay, then a little quick thing I wanted to do uh, now that we've got these um, we've got these new champions coming out. I've added this in. I'll try to do this every week. So 2019 accomplishments. What did they accomplish last year? You got a win at the Sanderson Farms. He earned 1.695 million dollars for his efforts last year, and he finished 62nd in the FedEx Cup. Actually had a pretty good BMW, but it just didn't get him enough points to get him over the edge. So he made it into the Tour Championship. I'm sure that will be one of his big goals for this year. Try to get into the Tour Championship for sure. 2020 major winners, we'll keep these here to wrap up our show every single, every single week. We haven't had a major yet. We're not gonna have one for a while, right? Not until April. <laughs> Maybe I should take this out until then, but um, looking forward to the majors already. It's, it seems a long way away, but it'll be here pretty quickly, I'm sure. So, okay, that's it for Cameron Champ's big win. Let's bring me back up. Sorry, you gotta see my face in full view again. But really cool win. I enjoyed watching it. Um, even at Silverado in California, it looks like fall, doesn't it? There was leaves blown around all over. Um, it's fall. It's cooler here. It was, I had to turn on the heat to warm up the office this morning. So that was pretty crazy as well. So fall golf is upon us. The colors are changing. Hopefully it's nice where you are. I'm still suffering with this Achilles injury, so I'm unable to play. It's killing me. And I know the snow is gonna fly before I am able to play, but 
I'll heal up this winter and be ready to go in the spring and we'll have a good, we'll have a good time working on our games over the winter together. And hopefully by spring, we'll be ready and rocking and ready to go. So this is Aaron Stewart with Data Access Golf. Thank you for joining me again today on this Data Monday. Until next time, please remember better data always means better golf. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com and we'll see you on the next episode.